the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. Larry Rosenthal is a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, a broker, dealer, and registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Satera is under separate ownership from Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Rosenthal Wealth Management Group is located at 9265 Corporate Circle in Manassas, Virginia, and can be reached at 703-330-3100. Chris McKay is not affiliated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, nor Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Bob Jones is a marketing assistant of Rosenthal Wealth Management Group and is associated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Welcome to the Larry Rosenthal Show. Here he is in studio once again, Larry Rosenthal himself. Hey, Larry. Hi, how Chris? How are you doing today? I've never had a bad day that I'll tell you about. Feeling pretty good today. I'm wearing the Nationals hat in your honor. Oh, in my honor. Oh, well, that's a good thing. Go Nats, right? Yes. Why not? Well, we just made a lot of people mad about that, but some are happy. Okay. Some are happy, some are <laughs> anyway, mad. go baseball. How's that? Can't sound? please it. And football starting too in camps. Yeah. So very excited for this season. So anyway, good morning. Welcome everybody. Welcome to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal, your host, and it is Saturday morning again, which means open mic Saturday. No questions barred at all. We'd love to hear from you. What's on your mind today about the economy, the stock market? Your retirement plans, stocks, bonds, investments, insurance, estate planning, taxes, mortgages, real estate, whatever's on your mind, give us a ring. It is Open Mic Saturday. Give us a call today at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-ROSE-123 or 855-767-3123. Well, you know, each week we, we get lots of emails and questions and things like that. From, from from clients, from people like you all around the country asking us about this, that. Hey, what would you see about this article? What would you hear about that? And one of the questions that I got this week was was pretty good question. It, it came basically – the conversation came from a couple of different people. And it's interesting. This is a frequently asked question these days over the last two weeks maybe, eight trading days in the market – you know, are we on the edge of a cliff? Is this thing going to tip back over? Are we going to go back down to lows again from the pandemic era? You know, what? where are we? What's happening? Now, hold on a second here. Let's just back up and stop for a second. 2023, the stock market has had a tremendous rebound. Are we back at all-time highs yet? No, we're not. Will we get there? Most likely one day. When is that? Next Tuesday 
or 30 Tuesdays from now. We don't know, right? But it will happen. And that's the key here is to stay invested, right? Sometimes due to economic situations, you put a little bit more defense into the portfolio. Sometimes you put a little bit more offense into the portfolio, but you are always on the field of play, okay? Because you do not want to miss that compounding rate of return. When the markets pull back, they tend to, uh, once they pull back and then turn back up positive again, where they start growing again, it's those first few days in the market that gets your largest rate of return during the cycles, all right? And that's why you always want to make sure that you still are in the field of play, that you're still fully invested in the account. Now, again, sometimes more defense, sometimes more offense. Make sure that your portfolios are balanced, diversified, and they meet with your risk acceptance level. And that's one of the things that we should talk about today is risk acceptance level, or what I call your sleep test. You know, if you're laying in bed at night and you're, and you're awake and you're going, boy, I, I just don't know how much risk I have in my investments, or I don't have enough risk because I'm losing some growth, or maybe I have too much risk and I'm a little worried, you know, how, how far down the road until I need to turn my investments into streams of income from reliable sources in tax-efficient ways, might, might, might I add as well, you know. How do you go about assessing your risk? Well, one of the things that you take a look at is something called a beta. The beta is a measurement of risk in your portfolio compared to another, another measurement like the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 has a beta ranking of 1.00. So when you put your investments through the, the math equation and it comes out to your beta on your portfolio is 0.9, that means you have 10% less risk in your portfolio. On the other hand, if your beta comes out to 1.15, you have 15% more risk in your portfolio. So the question becomes, which one is correct? 115, 1, 0.9? And the answer is yes. They're all correct depending on what your risk appetite is at that particular moment in time. So I was explaining to a client the other day about ultimately getting to the point where you get diminishing returns because he was saying, hey, you know what? I want to take more risk. I want to get a little bit more risk. And I was breaking down for him and saying, and, and, and saying listen, this is, this is where you are now. As we pile on more and more risk, you'll see that at some point you're getting too much risk given the rate of return that you're having. On the other side, if you flip the triangle upside down and you say, listen, now you have less risk and you're getting greater returns given the risk that you're taking, which portfolio would you like? And he says, well, I'd like the second one where I'm getting less risk but better returns given the risk I'm taking, okay? So as you ramp up your risk to a certain level, the returns can start to diminish, okay, if the markets turn sideways or go down. So it's important that you understand the risk level you have in your investments. And this is one of the, one of the largest overlooked mathematic thing, ma mathematical uh, equations that people can do very quickly to assess risk in their portfolio. People don't understand it. It's often overlooked. And a lot of financial advisors, unfortunately, don't bring this to the table when discussing 
client's risk appetite. And this is something that I, you have to have. You have to drive this home. And that'll let you understand what you own in your portfolio, how they're going to react during good times and during bad times of the stock market. So understand this. If you want some information on how to assess risk in your portfolio, give us a ring today at 855-ROSE-123, 855-767-3123, or just simply go to my website, RosenthalWealthManagement.com or LarryRosenthal.com. Shoot us off an email. We'd be happy to send you out the information on these statistical measurements and explain to you how you can go assess the risk that's inside your portfolio, looking at alpha, beta, standard deviation, sharp ratio, and, and the like as far as all that goes. So. Hey, give us a ring this morning at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. You're listening to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment. Listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. are still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. Now nationwide and coast to coast from sea to shining sea, call now 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Hey, good morning. I have a question uh, concerning my 401k. Okay. How can I help you? Okay. So um, I'm getting up there where I'm probably five, six, seven years from retirement. So my 401k for many years has started, you know, it's built up to a pretty strong, from my standpoint, pretty strong figure. Um, You know, of course, we've seen it drop back in the last months however not terribly and i've got a balanced account that's pretty conservative i've dug into it a little bit recently found out i'm like 60 40 um stock to bonds and but also just found out that my particular fund has a pretty strong charge for i guess for maintenance or for 
what the fee they charge is point forty nine, whereas some of the other funds are point oh one. And you know, I, I just need some advice of is is this is this are the fees killing me too much uh, because I have a decent amount of money in there, or you know, should I find some you know, or the fees there for a reason because I can get more support from the company that has the funds. So here's the math on that. Okay. First of all, your money has to outpace three things. It has to outpace taxes, inflation, and then fees. Those are the three things it has to outpace, okay? So when it comes to the fees, you're going to pay your advisor a fee, and the mutual funds or the ETFs that's inside that account, there's a fee there. For example, if you bought XYZ mutual fund and it had an expense ratio, I'll use your numbers, of 0.49, Versus buying five individual stocks, there is no expense ratio in individual stocks, okay? So that would save you that hidden expense ratio fee there. But on the other hand, what are you getting for that expense ratio? You're getting a lot of times it's called a package product where you're getting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stocks inside that mutual fund. And then there's a management team managing that mutual fund. They're, they're constantly analyzing it, buy, sell, that type of thing, okay, uh, to make those stocks and or bonds work toward the objective of that mutual fund. Same with an ETF. So, so when you take a look at one mutual fund who might have an expense ratio of 0.08 versus another mutual fund that has an expense ratio of 0.49, you're asking, well, what's the difference? Should I just go cheap, cheap, cheap? It depends on what you're looking for. If you stop and think about a dartboard, okay, what's in the middle of the dartboard? The bullseye, right? Okay, so what's in the middle of our stock market, the S&P 500? The further away from the stock, from the S&P 500 you go, the more apt you are to want professionally active management instead of indexes especially in a marketplace like this where you've got you've got um, um, you know uh, uh, government bank you've got you've got the Fed you've got the ECB all playing around with monetary policy all across the world so so you'll find that your index funds are a lot less expensive 0.3 point, point one, whereas your active management funds are 0.49 0.85 even some cases 0.9. So we believe that you need to have a combination of both. You know, if you wanted to have an international small stock fund, imagine the research that has to go on that when you're looking at all the countries around the world investing in small company stocks. But if it's an asset class that's really doing well, and it probably will again, right, you want to be there. Do you want to buy the index cheap, or do you want active management on that? Most of the time, the further away from the S&P 500 you go, you want active management on that. So we have, in our portfolios, we have combinations of active management, passive management, very inexpensive, and individual stocks where there is no expense ratio charge. That's the way we believe. We believe in product diversification across the board. So you have to ask yourself, what are you getting? And then you take it to the next step of, you know, you might have two funds, one at 0.49, another one at 0.49, and you're going, okay, great. Both of these are in the expense ratio world together, but now grade them out. 
which one is doing better from a tax perspective, a turnover perspective, which one ranks better within its, within its peer group of all of this stuff. So not only do you have to look at the expense ratios, that's one piece of the overall evaluation inside of a mutual fund or an ETF. But you want to look at all different other types of metrics inside of that. What's the PE ratio of that ETF? Is it, is it, is it you know, over and above the S&P or over and above its index? Uh, you know, just all kinds of programs. What's the alpha? What's the beta, the standard deviation on the fund or the ETF? How does it compare against, you know, 500 other funds or ETFs in its peer group? So, so you need to do what I would call, John, a screening of it all, okay? That's what I would do. So kind of a long okay. answer to your question, but, but you know, being, being fee aware is definitely wise. There's no doubt about it. We, we definitely screen for that uh, in, in our portfolios, and everybody should. But there's also a balance mix there, too. Okay? If you want, I'll be happy to, to send you out some info on how to screen for that and how to take a look at it, okay, if you want. That'd be great. I also had one other – if you have time, you may have other callers. But, so I was curious also, you know, should I have several different funds with – different fees like some that aren't so managed that i mean is it important to have a mix of that when you just take that one fee on your decent amount of money it looks like man i'm paying a whole lot for my management but you know or take a fund like there's one i won't name it this i'll call it the ss uh s&p fund so uh so it's mostly s&p stuff it's it's actually 11 percent of my balance fund so it must be a pretty good fund because it makes up 11% of, of my one fund that I have. But this uh, SS, uh, S&P fund has been outperforming what I have for the last five years, and um, it has a point oh one. So, And I guess that's because what you said is so close to the S&P itself, it probably doesn't need as much management. It could very well be just an index, you know. Um, so, so I would have to look at it to see and break it down, but you know, when, when it comes, when it comes to this, if you stop and think about it for a second, you know, um, can I use this as an analogy? Let's suppose you go to McDonald's and you get a Big Mac, right? And you've got the special sauce and the patties and the onions and the pickles and the lettuce and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and you break it down and you, and they tell you, well, yeah, the lettuce actually costs a dime. And you go, well, the little bit of lettuce on that Big Mac, it's not worth a dime. I don't want the lettuce. I'm just not happy about it, right? But it comes with the whole thing. The, the sandwich costs a dollar. I don't know what it costs. Let's say it costs a dollar, right? But you're going to get the whole thing for the dollar, and you're looking for the whole thing. And so when you, when you take a look at the fees, in ap- absence of value, fees come to light basically, right? So when you look at the fees inside the fund, you're saying, I'm exchanging this fee for professional money management because I don't want to or I can't do it myself. That's what you're doing. Just like when you take your car to a place to have your oil changed. Some people do it themselves. Some people say, nope, I'm going to exchange money to save me time, and I'm going to hire a professional to do that. That's it's the same type of scenario. You know what I mean? It's almost akin to you going to your boss and saying, listen, next week I'm going to work for free. Don't pay me. I'm going to work for free because when you're asking investments, you know, 
to say, hey, cut your fees way, 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 way down. At some point, you know, the, if, if it's below market competitiveness, then they would say, well, where, where do you want me to work for free at? Does that kind of make sense? I mean, you're, you're, you're yeah. exchanging time and expertise, and you can use that in an analogy in anything, the dentist office, you know, a, a golf lesson, whatever it might be. That's what, that's what you're doing there. So, so the, the, the fee is, again, one part of the screening on, a, on it all, John, but take a look at the performance of it all, okay? And so just because one fund outperforms another fund in your portfolio, they could be investing in two different places, two different asset classes. You want to screen each fund versus its index, okay? I'm going to put you on hold here, and Bob will get your contact information. I've got some more callers on the line, and we'll send you out some information on how to screen things, okay? Yes, Appreciate the phone call, John. You listen to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. Let's welcome Nelson on the line from Kansas City. Good morning, Nelson. How are you? Good morning. Um, my question is, why are the Fang big tech stocks seeming to be doing well right now? Why? Because people are investing in them. That's exactly why. They're driving up the price. And so what are you taking a look at here? You're taking a look at a couple of asset classes. This is a great question because this has been a debate, okay, as to, you know, uh, in the industry. And so, uh, Nelson, I appreciate the, the, the question. You, you must have been watching some TV over the last uh, month or so. But, but anyway, so here's the deal. You know, in times of uncertainty, you want you want to flock to to security, right? Okay, and and as the Fed has been approaching its pause, whether it happens in May or later this year, I don't know, but growth will eventually start to take off again. And so, when you talk about the Fang stocks, you know, the big box tech, take a look at their balance sheets. Those are very, very strong balance sheets. And in, and in times like this, just like I have always said, you want to own quality, okay? Would you rather own a big box tech stock or Chris McKay's startup tech company, right? Hey, wait a minute. Yep, there you go. Do you see what I mean? That's, that's kind of the analogy on the difference, Nelson, right there. <laughs> and so people have been flocking to, to large tech for quality, for, 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 for stability, for safety that type of thing. In addition to that, you also have to sit back and say, you know, if I wanted to own one, two, or three asset classes for the rest of my life and never pay attention to it, technology is going to be one of them. Biotech would probably be another one, right? You know, so, so we, are on the, we are on the cusp of a brand new technological explosion, innovation, you know, uh, I, uh, what is it? IA, artificial AI. intelligence. Yeah, AI. AI, yeah, thank you. Uh, artificial intelligence. I mean, I mean, you just take a look at some of the programs that are out there now. You take a look at, at computers. We, I just got a new computer in my office, and I am absolutely shocked at it's completely quiet and how fast it is. I never thought this thing, I don't know what it's called, a 9-something nine, nine or other. I-9, yep. I-9. Yep. And it's just amazing amazingly fast so so the you know if you, if you go back and one last question related to that the nasdaq is also doing well is that ai in yield is it ai in yield that's driving um 
or is it a rotation from value to growth? Well, the whole thing is a rotation from value to growth at this point. Just like in 2022, we saw a rotation from growth to value. Now we're seeing a rotation back. We're seeing the rotation back from value into into growth. You know, okay. that's exactly what it is for for all the above reasons. Okay, okay. for for subscription software, for for inve- uh, uh, innovation. You know, for all different types of things. You know, and then okay. once we get clarity of direction from the Fed. Uh, we'll probably start to see VC money come back into play again, and then possibly a brand new economy starting off uh, with with it all. So, this is okay, why we want to stay diversified. Thank you. Hey, give us a ring this morning at eight five five Rose one two three. Let's welcome Kathy on the line from South Carolina. Whoop, are you there, Kathy? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How can I help you? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, my husband and I, we're he's 65, I'm 63, and we have some money put away, not a huge amount, but we're constantly watching it dwindle down to nothing uh, over the past several, well, year. And my question is, we owe about 100000 on our home. Would we be better off taking some money out of our retirement, paying the house off, and then paying ourselves back? My concern is with the, the way the government keeps printing money that um, – and hearing talk about a global reset and, uh, you know, moving to uh, Biden's digital money plan that is not going to be there when we are able to retire and to have a home paid for would at least give us a place to live and have that security for our family. Kathy, this is this is a question that we get often, and 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 um, <clears throat> let me preface this by saying I, I'm going to need to get a lot more information before I give you an answer to this. But okay, if you take a hundred thousand dollars out of your investments today, okay, and and pay down your mortgage, so now you have no mortgage payment on the house, you still have maintenance, utilities, and taxes, insurance, and, and, and all that on the house, right? So you're still going to have payments on that house. It's not going to be free. That's the first thing. Correct. The second thing is if you take $100,000 out of an investment account, is it coming from an IRA or a non-IRA? IRA. So you're going to have to pull out more money than $100,000 in order to net the $100,000, right? So let's suppose you have to pull out $130,000 just to do math easy in order to net the, the uh, $100,000 after tax to pay the house off, right? So, so if, that okay. money, if that money would have stayed in the investment account of the IRA, and if it would have earned 7%, 7.4% actually, okay, 7.2, excuse me, in 10 years, that money would be worth $260,000. In 20 years, okay, it'd be worth... $520,000. The rule of 72 compound interest, it keeps doubling every 10 years, right? If you get 7%. So the question becomes this, can your cash flow continue to afford to pay down the house on, on making your normal monthly payments, keeping your money invested? That's the way the calculator will attack this question. Okay. The calculator will tell you, keep your money invested and make your payments on the home. 
That's what the calculator says. Now, I used to teach a, a, a class on the nine different ways to kind of attack this question, nine different ways to manage equity inside of your home. And, and so the, set, the other side of that is, well, wait a minute. From a financial planning perspective, just listening to the calculator, that's the, right, that's the way to, to, to go about it. But the real world is now you're sitting here saying, hey, you know what? For whatever reason, we want to have our home paid for in retirement. I'm perfectly comfortable with that. But before we say, yes, let's do that, let's make sure that you don't become house rich and cash poor. In other words, you could have your home paid for, but not enough money to go to the beach for on vacation because all of your money is tied up in wood, bricks, mortar, and steel, right, inside, inside the, uh, the home. So, so that's the balancing act. That's the question that we have to ask. And then another question is, is this the forever home? Are you going to stay in this home forever? Is, is this going to be the retirement home? That's the idea, but you know, okay. So we we never know. But if that's the plan, right? If that's the plan to stay in the home, you know, fine. And and so there's there's a lot of advisors out there that will say, you know, never pay your home off. And a lot of them say, pay it off as soon as possible. And and I've seen I've seen it work both ways. There are some people that need to have a small manageable mortgage in retirement. Others need to have the home paid for. But my point is this, is that when you, when, when we sit down and take a look at your overall financial plan on all of this, those are the questions we have to address, okay? And then another question is you have to ask you and your, your, your husband, are you disciplined enough to repay back all this money from this IRA plus the taxes in a timely enough manner so that when you do get to retirement, you can produce income? to go on the vacations dur during the summertime and, and things like that. So, so there's a little bit of a formula here. A lot of it is based off of how much you can afford to save. And quite frankly, here's another way. If you're going to look to, to save that mortgage payment each month, why not just keep your money invested and then double up your mortgage payments, right? So there's a – Okay, there's, that would be my next question is, yeah, would it be better to do that? Just double up on the mortgage payment alone. So, from that standpoint, yes. Now you're going to keep your principal of that hundred and thirty thousand dollars invested, growing. And remember this: when you when you look at all this on a spreadsheet, and I can show you how to do that. Mortgages are simple interest on declining balances, and investments are compound interest on appreciating sums. So you have a declining balance working at working with you on simple interest versus compounding interest over time in your investments, and that investment's growing tax deferred, right? So 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 there you go. And then if you say, well, hey, wait a minute, let me take a look at doubling up my mortgage payments to accelerate down the balance. That's great too, but at the same time, then I want to introduce something to you called a mortgage endowment plan. By 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 in a at a starting point, if you take a thirty year mortgage and you put one extra payment into it a year, so you're cramming thirteen months of payments in a twelve month calendar time frame, you'll knock that down to roughly twenty one years from thirty. Okay, but if you put the money into a mortgage endowment plan, you could take it down as as far as as uh, uh, you know several more years. And a mortgage endowment plan is this. 
is instead of putting the money into the mortgage, you simply put it into well, take a look at government treasury bonds right now, paying a little under a little, you know, four or five percent interest, right? Okay, so so now you're getting a compounding interest on appreciating sums. So see how that money. So so instead of putting the money inside the house, you're tip, you're 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 putting those extra payments in an investment. Even if it's just in a bank account earning 2 or 3% interest, you're going to win over time, and then you can pull that money out and pay down the mortgage. So, so there's four oh, or five – yeah, there's four or five different strategies at hand that you can really go about looking at how to attack this scenario because ultimately what I hear you saying is you know, we want to make sure that our house is secure and safe, that nobody can ever take it away from you, right? And people can lose their homes in retirement even though it's paid for because they can't afford to pay the tax on the house. So as long as you're making that mortgage payment, whether it's coming from a dividend interest in your investment accounts or wherever, you'll be doing it. But there's nothing wrong with having your home paid for in retirement. Let me tell you that, okay? There's nothing wrong with it. I'm a fan of having as little overhead debt as possible. But these are the different avenues that we need to sit down and take a look at before we make the decision on which one to do next, okay? So if you like, I'll be happy to send you out some information uh, we, on, on, on you know, how to accelerate down your mortgage payments, taking a look at the, the opportunity cost between pulling the dollars out uh, versus paying the taxes and, and letting it grow there. So if you want, Kathy, I'll be happy that to put – Yep, definitely. I'll put you on hold here. Uh -huh. I'll put you on hold, and Bob will get your contact information. We'll have one of our advisors reach out to you next week and set up a time when we can sort of explain all this to you, okay? Right. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. You have a great weekend. Let's go ahead and welcome Terry on the line from Maryland. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? I'm well. How can I help you? Um, my question is about retirement. Um, I'll be 62 this year, and I'm planning to retire from my job um, I'll have 38 years in, and the question is, it's like, it's exciting, but it's scary, too, because it's like you see the amount that you're making now, and then you're going to make, like, half of it when you retire, and it's like, okay, <laughs> where do I start here? And the question is about uh, the TSP, Social Security, because first you're going to retire from the company you're working from, and then I should contact social security next but what about the tsp do i take the whole thing out or what do i do with that well what we first need to do is sort of draw a line in the sand and ask the question here when you retire your income from your pensions from the FERS, federal employee retirement system and social security is that going to cover your monthly expenses that's the first question we have to ask right and then the second question is, if not, how do we supplement that? How do we supplement that gap? Let's suppose that you need, I don't know, five grand a month and you, and you have three grand coming in. How do we supplement those $2,000 a month, right? Okay. Right. That's, the first, that's the first question. Then the next question is, let's take, take a look at all of your savings and investments and see how they can best produce income to supplement that. If you don't have that gap, then the question becomes, okay, what do I do with these savings? Well, let's just keep them growing for a while because maybe, you know, in retirement, remember, you know, on the average, every seven years, you might get a new car. You'll also want to go on vacations. 
travel, do all different types of things, maybe with the grandkids and stuff like that. So, so we have to build those things into this question. Think about it from this perspective, Terry. You're on sort of a, a, a financial planning timeline from, from birth to when you go to heaven, right? And just because you retire, yes, that is a major event, and we'll talk about your, your question on that being scared in just a second. But that is a major event in your life, but that doesn't mean life's over with, right? We're just moving on to the next chapter in life. And so we have to make sure that our resources are aligned for those objectives and goals. As far as money that's inside the TSP or any old employer retirement, for that matter, there's, there's five things you can do. You can keep it there. You can pull it all out, pay taxes on it, and that's very expensive and most likely unwise. You can roll it over to an IRA, which is the most popular. You can convert it to a Roth there, or you can get another job and roll it into that new company, right? Most people end up rolling it over to their own IRA for many different reasons, okay? It gives you better investment control, uh, choices of investments and things like that. You know, when you look at the TSP, it's a great funding vehicle. It's a great accumulation vehicle, not such so much as an income distribution vehicle. You have the CGFS and I funds, and they don't really deliver a lot of dividends to you to, 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 to live off of in retirement years. So that's another aspect that we would have to um, uh, sit down and take a look at. But but the big but when you talk about being scared about moving into retirement, you have to gain confidence in your cash flow. And that'll take the scared part away because you're looking at behavioral finance here. What you're doing is basically saying, hey, for, for X number of decades, I've had a paycheck coming in every single you know pay period. And now, boom, that paycheck stops. Do I have enough resources to sustain my standard of living is the real question. And the only way to find that out is basically draw a line in the sand and build together a financial plan to take a look at all the different things that I just talked about. Dig deep into your cash flow, your goals, objectives, and things like that. We'll bring to the table for you unexpected expenses. We'll take a look at Social Security timing. When should you take your Social Security, right? Should you defer more or take it early? how best to manage the dollars to produce the income for any gap that you may have. Make sure things are coming to you in, a, in the most tax-efficient manner during your retirement years. So, so basically what I hear you saying is, is we need to basically sit down and, and develop a financial plan and take a look at you know, where you are and how best to maintain your current standard of living going forward. So I can send you out our financial planning toolkit if you like, and that will get you started. Bob will get your information, yeah. and, and we'll have someone reach out to you next week and get you started on a financial plan, okay? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and do Thank that. Thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate the phone call. Let me put you on hold here real quick. Good morning, Joe. How are you this morning? Good morning, Larry. I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm well. How can I help you? Well, thanks to you, I got uh, refinance. I refinanced my apartment last year. It was great. But I'm coming today in particular because last Saturday I was driving and you were talking about uh, one gets older, how you can deal with your property. You talked about the first mortgage and the two other options I don't remember, but I'm interested in uh, the one where I could sell the property to my children and I could pay rent so they can pay the mortgage. Could you please talk about that? Sure, Joe. These these are concepts. They're not products, but they're financial planning concepts. Okay, 
And and when you take a look at at a lot of people, you know, you're you're in your home, you're retired, and and you've got a tremendous amount of equity in your home, but you're sort of cash flow poor, right? And you don't want to move your home. You you don't want to move to a different address. And there's there's a few different ways that you can go about doing this. And what you're specifically talking about is the concept of a sale leaseback, where you take your home and you sell it to your adult children, okay? And you get a lease back for life. So by doing this, you're able to cash out all of the equity in your home. You can put that into an income-producing portfolio, right? That can give you cash flow enough in a lot of cases if the numbers work out to make the rent payment back to your kids so that they can in turn make the mortgage payment to the bank where they finance the property from. And now you're able to cash out all that equity in your home and, and, and still stay in your home without having to sell your home and move to another location. That's a sale lease back. Okay. And, and it's not a product, but it's a concept. It's a way that families can, can produce income because if you stop and think about it <clears throat> one day when you go to heaven you're probably going to leave the house to the kids anyway right and then what are they going to do with it most likely they're going to sell it right so now you're just selling it now to them right they get to participate in the increase in real estate if real estate properties go up and you get to cash all your money out right now so that's the way it works and if you, if you wanted to see some actual numbers on that We'd really have to sit down and, and, and crunch the numbers and show you the, the three different strategies involved with, with um, taking equity to, to, to produce income in your retirement years from your home, okay? Got it, got it. Thank you very much. So now, if suppose I paid 15 years because my mortgage is 30 years. So if I have paid 15 years, they just um, have to pay the remaining 15 years, or is it like a refinancing Would you start all well, over again? Well, no. In this case right here, they would actually purchase the home from you, and they would put it on whatever type of mortgage product they wanted, whether it was 15 years or 30 or 10 or whatever type of mortgage loan they wanted. And that's where we have to really take a look at what we would call the, the sale economics. Does this work for them? Does it work for you? Do they even want to do it, right? You know, how does that work? Yeah. I, I even know a client who did this um, and sold her property to 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 somebody who was not a family member, okay, uh, mm-hmm. and got a, got a lease back for life, and she lived there until she passed, okay? So so you can wow. do this with anybody, right? You, you're just selling your home, and you're saying, hey, part of the stipulation of selling the home, you have to give me a, a you know, a life estate here, basically. You've got to give me a uh, a rental agreement for life. Okay. Um, so, 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 you know, we, we need to dive into it a little bit further. Let, let me do this, Joe, let me, let me put you on hold. You know, I'll have Bob get your contact information. Someone will give you a ring from our office next week and set up a time where we can start crunching numbers to see if the economics work, how much money is in your, in your home. And do you even need to do this by the way? Okay. Uh, is there another way that we can we can improve your cash flow maybe with different investments and things like that? So there's a whole laundry list of things we want to go through before we get to that that point of the discussion. What are your investments in right now? How much uh, income gap do you have each month? What's your guaranteed income coming in versus your your uh, investment income? Are there ways that you can just simply tweak that to produce higher dividends, higher yields for you without going through this process? Okay. Uh, but it is 
it is part of the whole thing. So, 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 you know, it, we, we got to crunch a lot of numbers before we get to that point. Okay. L let me put you on hold, okay, Joe. And great. yep. And we'll get somebody to, to sort of break this whole thing down for you. Appreciate the phone call. If you listen to making money sense, give us a ring at eight, five, five rows, one, two, three, that's eight, five, five, seven, six, seven, three, one, two, three. Let's welcome Joanne on the line from Virginia. Good morning, Joanne. How are you today? Oh, good morning. Yes, I um after my husband died, I've been able to save uh, a bit of money enough so that I could pay off the the, the mortgage on my house and maybe have a hundred and twenty thousand left over for future use. Um, I don't have any investments. All I have is Social Security coming in every month. Do you think I should pay off my house? I'm kind of worried about the dollar. And, you know, what will happen in the future and how well, that plays into it. So, Joanne, here's the thought on this, okay? There's nothing wrong with having your home paid for. Now, there's a lot of financial advisors out there that will say, don't ever do that, okay? Because you, you could make money longer in a bank, in a positive rate of return, in, a, in you know, a bond, the markets, whatever. Um, but there's nothing wrong with having your home paid for. The question becomes this, will you end up being house rich and cash poor? You said if you paid off your home, you'd have about $120,000 left over. You still have to make payments on your home. You still have to pay for insurance, and you still have to pay for taxes. And a lot of times people overlook that part and go, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, so we have to take that into consideration. Then we need to look at your, your cash flow needs. Is $120,000 of cash going to last for the rest of your life? What kind of a return can you get off of that to supplement your retirement needs? In other words, you just want to make sure that you don't end up being house rich and cash poor, okay? So, so in order to answer your question, again, I want to go ahead and crunch down some numbers to see exactly if that's in your best interest to do. A lot of times what happens, though, Joanne, just to let you know, is people decide not to pay their home off, have a small manageable mortgage, and take those investment dollars that you would use to pay your home off and turn them into an income-producing portfolio where you're having higher dividends, higher yields, and things like that, and you take that interest earnings, those dividend earnings, out of the investments each month and make the mortgage payment. Because the objective of having a mortgage paid off is so you don't have the mortgage payment anymore, right? This way, over time, the share values of those investments will continue to grow, so you're going to get the appreciation of real estate and the share values of things. So, so that's the way we have to look at the math behind both of those scenarios to determine if it's in your best interest to pay it off. As far as the dollar goes, you know, putting money into your home, if you, if, if you have your home paid for and the dollar – crashes or or becomes worthless we have bigger problems than 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 the than what's in your bank account as a nation the dollar is not going to become worthless okay uh, the dollar will go up and down on you know against a, a basket of world currencies it always does and if you look at our country you know half of our s&p 500 companies want to have a strong dollar and half of them want to have a weak dollar depending on what type of business they're in and where their businesses uh, have their ultimate consumers around the globe. So I wouldn't be concerned about, you know, if the dollar becomes worthless, there's a lot bigger problems uh, that we're going to have. Putting your money inside your house 
is not going to prevent uh, any issues with the dollar because, you know, I, I hear this a lot. Well, should I should I put money in this? Should I put money in that, you know, uh, because of the dollar? Yeah. Well, if you put money in this or you put money in that, then when you cash this or that out, you cash it back into dollars because the dollars are the only thing that you can buy gasoline with in your car or food at the grocery store or pay your utility bill. That's the system we're in. So everything that, that people are out there advertising, oh, buy this because of the dollar and buy that because of the dollar. Guess what? You put your dollars into that asset, and then when you cash that asset out, they give you dollars back, right? Okay. So, so the dollar's not going anywhere from that, from that standpoint. But, Joanne, let me, let me, if you'd like, I'll be happy to have somebody crunch these numbers for you. Uh, plus, you have to take a look to it. If you're going to exit an investment position to pay your home off, what's the tax cost of that, right, unless the money's in the bank? But I just want to make sure that you don't end up being house rich and cash poor, okay? And, again, there's nothing wrong with having your home paid for at all, nothing, nothing at all, okay? Yeah. Let me go ahead and put you on hold, and Bob will get your contact info, and we'll have somebody reach out and crunch these numbers for you next week. Sure, let's go ahead and welcome Camilla on the line from Maryland. Good morning, Camilla. How are you today? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Sure, Larry, how can I help I'm you? I'm in a bit of a pickle. I'm turning 55 this year in June, and I have absolutely no retirement savings at all. Prior service military, 12 years, combat medic. And I'm an empty nester, and I don't have a spouse. And so I don't even know where to be at. I also don't have any funeral plans or arrangements. So where do I even start? Well, let's start at the beginning, right? First of all, thanks for your service, okay? Yes, sir. Secondly, um, we just need to take a look at your current income and your current expenses. Okay. And then we need to ask a question, are you okay with your standard of living, right? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then what we need to do is figure out how to save enough money and reduce expenses on a on a glide path on a runway on a time frame so that when you do get to the point when you want to retire or somebody simply doesn't invite you back to work again right okay right um that you have enough income producing investments whether it's real estate or stocks or bonds or whatever to sustain your standard of living that's the math okay. behind it then we need to build a plan on how to implement it every single day. And it's gonna be a combination of paying down debt if you have it and saving for the mm -hmm. future. That's the plan, okay? That's very simple to do, okay? We've done that specific thing with people for years, Camilla, for years mm -hmm. and years, and they roll right into a nice happy retirement scenario, okay? So, okay. so it's all gonna start with the financial planning toolkit that we have. Mm -hmm. We'll send it out to you, fill it out, send it back. We'll have somebody reach out to you and get you started on that type of a plan. But it's all going to be about cash flow and taking a look at your assets and debt reduction if you have debt, okay? Because you will have Social Security coming in. That's going to give you mm -hmm. a fixed guaranteed income. You may have a small pension from the military. I'm not sure. To, I, I catch how, how many years yeah. of service you had there. You said it right when you said it's small. It's pretty. It's pretty tiny. Okay, but it's nobody's living off of that. But it's but it's still cash flow, right? It's still right. cash flow, right? Even if it's just right. Olive Garden money each month that comes in, right? 
enough to go out to dinner with, right? Okay. Right. So it's part of the asset pool that we're going to collect and analyze. That's what the math is. That's what we have to take a look at doing. So I'll put you on hold here, Camilla, and we'll have uh, Bob get your information, and we'll, and we'll send you out the financial planning toolkit and get you started down the road. How's that sound? It sounds amazing. You're doing a great job, and I thank you so much for coming on the air today. You really are a blessing. Well, thank you. I appreciate the phone call. Well, we're back with the Larry Rosenthal Show here, 855-767-3123. Remember that number works in the office during the week, and you don't charge for questions, right, Larry? No, sir, we don't, Chris. We've given out so much information and so many packets of information. We're happy to do that. We really believe that everybody deserves the right to have financial education, mm-hmm. you know, with, without a doubt on that. Speaking of that, I was, I was uh, uh, working with someone earlier this past week, and I want to bring to light, I, I want to just sort of take the confusion and the hassle factor out of some parts of estate planning. You know, when people start talking about estate planning and wills and trusts and beneficiary forms and taxes and, and bloodline protection of assets and, and, and all this kind of stuff, sometimes it gets pretty intimidating. And so I want to just sort of explain an easy way to go about doing this. When you're sitting down and you're looking at a blank piece of paper and you're going, well, where do we start? What do we do? How do we go about explaining what our wishes are as far as who gets what and when and how they get these different types of assets? Because different assets transfer different ways. And the easiest way that I have found after a few decades of doing this with clients is to say this. Just list out in an inventory everything that you own, your bank accounts, your cars, your retirement plans, your homes, your jewelry, whatever it may be, and then list down all the names and or the charities that you want these assets to go to or a portion of these assets and start drawing lines across the table. For example, you know, if something happens to both parents, you want the kids to get the house. Well, if there's one child or two or three or four, start drawing lines and write little sentences, write bullet points, how you want the house to be, to be sent to them, you know, or the retirement plans and all that kind of stuff. That's the easiest, least intimidating way to start the basics of building your estate plan versus going into an attorney's office and sitting there and trying to figure it out at that point. Take some time, think about it for a while, write it down, sleep on it, okay? Pull it back out and look at it again. That is going to be about 90% of your overall estate plan. So be prepared to do that. Just sit down and take an inventory of your assets, write down the names of people or charities that you want to receive these assets, draw lines across the paper, and make some notes. That's going to be the basis of your overall estate plan. And it works a lot easier that way than sitting there staring at a blank paper telling the attorney, I don't know what to do. What do we do? Okay. This way you've got it thought out. Take some time. It takes a couple of months to think these things through. And remember, when you put things on a beneficiary form or inside of a trust, you can set it up so that it is revocable. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show and watching on YouTube. Thanks for joining us. Larry's here in studio, and it looks like we're just about out of time, Larry. 
We are, Chris. Another good Saturday, that's for sure. We'll be back next Saturday with another session of, of Making Money Sense. But until then, go check out our website, LarryRosenthal.com or, Rose, or RosenthalWealthManagement.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on Facebook. And uh, you remember, when we sign up for our newsletter, there's no cost for it. And we send out a weekly market commentary every Monday morning. So stay tuned for that as well. So for Chris McKay and Bob in the back, I appreciate all your help this week. We'll catch you next Saturday with another session of Making Money Sense. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.